0: Good evening. This week on the history of medicine, the story of Yersinia pestis. To begin our chapter on antibiotics, I'd like to start with the history of the world before antibiotics. This time span includes, well, everything before the mid-20th century, which, as you can imagine, is perhaps a bit too much material to cover in one episode. People have been dying of bacterial infections since, well, forever, but I'd like to highlight just one bacteria that has changed the course of history. There's countless bacterial diseases out there, but one that strikes me immediately as influential on a global scale beyond just about any other, Yersinia pestis, better known as the Bubonic Plague. A quick overview, although many of you are probably already familiar. The plague, even in ancient times, is and was caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. This was in debate for some time, but has more or less been confirmed by modern DNA testing. Scientists have actually tested the DNA found in microbes from the remains of plague victims, and confirmed that they matched that of Yersinia pestis. We know that Yersinia pestis is primarily a disease of rodents, and is normally transmitted by fleas, although clearly it can reside in and spread to other animals, ourselves included. Rats tend to thrive with humans nearby, which still holds true today, if you'll notice ...in any major city, and as Yersinia would kill off the rats, their parasitic guests, the fleas, would then turn to other food sources, like... ...unfortunate nearby humans, thereby transmitting the disease. The most common form of plague is known as the bubonic plague, named so because of the buboes, which refers to swellings of the lymph nodes that the disease causes. Often these occur on the groin and are incredibly painful. Basically, these look like giant nasty blisters. They're both very unpleasant to look at, and they hurt. If you're really curious and not faint of heart, Google search some photos real quick, but I will not provide any directly. They usually burst because of secondary infections, and are accompanied by a whole host of lovely things like fevers, pain, chills, headaches, seizures, and exhaustion. There's also a few symptoms often reported historically, but not observed in cases of bubonic plague within the last century. Reports from older times also describe bruise like splotches, which they called gods tokens, a terrible odor, and delirium or other neurological symptoms. There's no one singular explanation for this discrepancy, but one is that in modern times we are much better fed and far more hygienic. Left untreated, bubonic plague has a mortality rate of fifty to ninety percent. Even with prompt modern medicine, that number is still as high as five to fifteen percent. If you can actually believe it, that is actually the least lethal form of the disease. If the bacteria, instead of attacking the lymph system, spreads to the lungs, it is known as pneumonic plague, instead of bubonic plague. Pneumonic plague has the lovely distinction of being able to spread the disease via air. One horrified Sicilian chronicler describes it thus, Breath spread the infection among those speaking together. "...and it seemed as if the victims were struck all at once by the affliction and were shattered by it. Victims violently coughed up blood, and after three days of incessant vomiting for which there was no remedy, they died. And with them died not only everyone who talked with them, but also anyone who had acquired or touched or laid hands on their belongings." Unquote. Pneumonic Plague is 95 to 100% lethal without treatment, So such horroring descriptions aren't exactly surprising. Finally, if you can believe it, there's actually an even worse form, which we call septicemic plague. This is where massive amounts of plague bacteria go directly into the blood, which then spreads the bacteria everywhere in the body in massive quantities. Average survival time in the 20th century of septicemic plague was about 14.5 hours, from onset of symptoms to death. The poor victims did not go peacefully. Septicemic plague is known to cause horrible disfigurement, whereas tissue dies off, the extremities become black and hard as coal, accompanied by all the other symptoms that we've already mentioned previously. I definitely wouldn't suggest a Google image search for that one, it's really quite gruesome. Plague, clearly, is a really scary disease. It's very visible on the infected, it seems to spread like wildfire, and it comes and goes in waves without explanation. That history goes more or less as far back as we know. The first book of Samuel in the Hebrew Bible, for example, while not exactly fact, details a punishment that may sound a tad familiar. Now the Lord dealt severely with the people of Ashdod. He ravaged and afflicted the city with tumors in their secret places. He brought upon the city a great and deadly plague of mice that swarmed in their ships and overran their fields. Some scholars have postulated that tumors in this case could easily refer to buboes, and secret places, of course, being groin. There's a couple passages in the Bible with similar descriptions of death and disease. We can't, of course, verify that these accounts were inspired by Yersinia, but it would be no surprise that Yersinia has been spreading pain and suffering since the start of recorded history. The first mass pandemic of bubonic plague that we know of, for sure, occurs in the 6th century, often known as the Plague of Justinian, named for the Byzantine emperor who reigned as the pandemic ran its course. This plague is to have massive impact on the world stage. But first, let me set that stage for you. The Byzantine Empire, which if you'll recall from history class, is the eastern remnants of the Roman Empire, is centered about the capital Constantinople, or modern-day Istanbul in Turkey. They are one of the major powerhouse empires of the region in time, alongside the Sasanian Empire, which rules modern-day Iran, to the east, and then to the west and the north are other smaller states. At this point, plague strikes... It's estimated over several decades in several waves that the bubonic plague kills 25 million people in just the Byzantine territories, and 100 million people worldwide as it spreads through Europe and Asia. This would be devastating to any state today, much less ancient ones, which had significantly less population. The disease spreads through China, India, the Sasanians, all the way over to Byzantium. Truly a worldwide pandemic. It's hard to say exactly what effects this would have had on the world stage, but it certainly wasn't good for any empire to lose such a massive proportion of its population. And definitely you can imagine the kind of psychological effect this would have on a people. The epidemics tended to come in waves. You would watch scores of your friends and family perish horribly without explanation, be left alone perhaps for a generation, and then the tragedy would repeat itself, only this time upon your children or grandchildren. There are scores of accounts from people who lose their entire immediate families. Farms go untended, trade is crippled, and in particularly bad instances, entire towns might be abandoned. Writers of the time were often convinced that the plague must be divine retribution, but were at a loss by its ability to strike anyone, wicked or virtuous, rich or poor. Without any understanding of disease, I can certainly understand how they came to such supernatural conclusions. Just from my research, I find this disease horrifying and disturbing. Without any explanation of why or how such suffering could come to pass, I would inevitably have turned to superstition, too. Modern historians suggest that this plague was partially responsible for the rise of Islam, as well as the North and Western European empires. As the plague, which thrives in temperate areas, cripples Byzantine, Roman, and Sasanian power, a power vacuum opens up in their old areas of influence. Plague did not strike the modern British Isles, France, or Germany nearly as severely, we think because of the temperature differences. This led to the rise of new states and powers in those regions, as they are able to shake the influence of Byzantium. Meanwhile, in the Middle East, Mohammed founds Islam and accrues followers, another region left relatively unscathed by the plague. The Bedouin Arabs, bringing Islam with them, are able to carve out their own territory. They actually eradicate the Sasanian Empire and supplant it, forming the first caliphates and spending the next several hundred years harassing the severely weakened Romans. The Plague of Justinian as such actually shapes the geopolitics of the era, and that's just early on in the Middle Ages. The more famous round of bubonic plague is one that you're almost certainly familiar with, known as the Black Death. The pandemic, referred to as the Black Death, struck Europe in the 1300s AD. We think it originated from Inner Asia and then spread westward to the Middle East and Europe, then eastward towards China along international trade routes. Like in earlier times, humanity lacked the knowledge to combat the plague and usually turned to religious explanations and solutions. At its worst, we see the human tendency to scapegoat others. Many Jews were subsequently blamed and killed or persecuted. You may have heard of the flagellants who believes that the curse of plague could be lifted by self-abuse, often in the form of whipping and, unfortunately, the slaying of Jews. One spectator wrote, quote, "...the men lashed themselves viciously on their naked bodies until the blood flowed, while crowds, now weeping, now singing, shouted, save us!" Unquote. By this time, humanity is just starting to modernize and globalize. Increased technological advancement, trade, populations, and population density allowed for further spread of the disease it also allowed us to recover more direct accounts of the horror. One chronicler from Florence recounts, All the citizens did little else except to carry dead bodies to be buried. At every church they dug deep pits down to the water table, and thus those who were poor who died during the night were bundled up quickly and thrown into the pit. In the morning, when a large number of bodies were found in the pit, they took some earth and shoveled it down on top of them, and later others were placed on top of them, and then another layer of earth, just as one makes lasagna with layers of pasta and cheese. Unquote. I picked this passage for its grim description, but I also found the metaphor with lasagna interesting in a kind of dark way. This specific writer actually loses most of their family, and I have to think that maybe they were losing it a little. All we have are estimates, but as with earlier epidemics, Yersinia claims the lives of up to 60% of the population in some cities. The overall death toll is commonly cited as about 33%, with the highest my sources saying going up to 60% of Europe overall. In matters of weeks, whole networks of people are wiped out. As it spreads, the infected suffer and die, and the uninfected become fearful and paranoid. One historian details that, quote, Men inhumanely shun each other's company. Fathers do not dare to bury their own sons. Sons do not perform last duties to their fathers, unquote. I cannot imagine the kind of fear necessary to cause such actions, or rather inaction. I have no children of my own, but to avoid laying my father to rest in the event of his passing, that's got to be one scary plague. The plague also causes mass social upheaval. For example, in Florence, corrupt officials stole about 375,000 gold florins worth of estate from the dead. I have no way to convert that into modern money, but it is a lot. As so many people died, the epidemic created kind of a... Terrible feedback loop as well when caretakers died the sick did worse which led to more severity when farmers died food Became more scarce when street sweepers died rats and filth were even more rampant Even beyond people large numbers of other animals died which contributed to famine on top of the epidemic All in all the black death claims about 25 million lives in Europe China alone loses about 60 million people totals globally number into the hundreds of millions as with the plague of Justinian, the consequences are massive. One of the largest effects was on physical infrastructure, with no people to maintain them, fields went untended, bridges and roads crumbled, and towns were depopulated. The loss of so much population also skyrocketed the cost of labor, which made everything more expensive, but especially luxury and manufactured goods. The surviving poor actually came to benefit from this, as their labor became high in demand. Several writers of the time note that serving girls, artisans, and laborers all demanded more for their services, with some artisans demanding three times their original prices prior to the plague. Peasants' increased worth also helped end serfdom and improve conditions overall. Women also made significant economic gains in the aftermath of the plague. With so many men dead, women filled in many of their former positions out of necessity. The shortages in labor also spurred technological advancement. What could not be accomplished with people needed to be accomplished with machines. Notable examples in the 1400s include the printing press, new water pumps, slating and storing fish methods, and bigger ships. I was surprised in my research to find some arguments that plague could somehow have any benefit, but there you go. It was good for the wallets of the poor, of women, and it prompted innovation. I don't know if you could say it's worth it, but I'm glad there's some kind of silver lining at least. Yersinia continues to harass humanity for the rest of known history. The final large epidemic of bubonic plague actually happened in 1855, which, if you'll note, is not that long ago. This is known as the Third Pandemic, or as Modern Plague. It spread from China by rats on steamships, and with modern transportation methods was able to travel even faster than previous pandemics. It was in this pandemic that we determined much of what we know about Yersinia pestis. Scientists were able to identify the bacteria itself, and figured out that fleas were the carriers of the disease. Our knowledge let us control the plague to some extent in rats, but it still spread to squirrels and other mammals all over the world. This allowed plague to spread as far as the United States. Even with a decent understanding of the disease, insecticides to control fleas, and the ability to identify and quarantine patients accordingly, the plague still took a toll of about 10 million lives, especially in India and China. Since then, we have still seen smaller epidemics in the 20th century, such as in India, in Vietnam during the Vietnam War, and currently in sub-Saharan Africa, where most cases occur today. Now, bubonic plague is not nearly the threat it once was. Currently, the World Health Organization reports about 600 cases of plague a year. It's become very rare in wealthier countries, often due to sanitation preventing it in the first place, but on top of that, bubonic plague is now treatable with antibiotics. Yersinia pestis is vulnerable to a host of common antibiotics, and although resistance is becoming a problem, that's a whole separate topic. Think, though, about how different things would be if somehow we had figured out antibiotics earlier. Think of the millions of millions of lives saved, of lifetimes of suffering prevented, of geopolitical effects that were lost. Perhaps Islam never becomes a major religion. Maybe modern Europe's nation-states never form. The potential implications are just staggering, and I think it's kind of difficult even to process just how catastrophic Yersinia has been for humanity. Consider, too, on a personal level how much pain could have been prevented. Each of the victims of Yersinia, the hundreds of millions of people, could have been spared. Their symptoms, and for many of them, their deaths, could have been prevented. The grieving and anguish of those people's families and friends could have been stopped, too. Each of those hundreds of millions of infected people had loved ones that watched them die horribly and mourned and yet feared that they would still be next. Luckily, we do have antibiotics today. But in the timeline of our podcast... Right after the third pandemic, we're just not there yet. Sorry this episode has been a bit of a downer, but next week, we explore the science that comes just before antibiotics, and we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. Feel free to always reach out, especially with feedback, at our Facebook page, website, or my email, linked in the description. Or even leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening. Good reviews will help me find more listeners, and bad reviews will make me better.